Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good morning. Good to have you at the Crosswinds Spirit Lake campus. Uh, last week, we took a little break from our study in 1 Timothy. We enjoyed Pastor Stephen, who preached to us on Sabbath. So I hope everybody had a good rest. Uh, pun intended, all the way through, but we are back to work and First Timothy today. So we're going to go ahead and return to that. Two weeks ago when we were in First Timothy, we were looking at a plan for fitness. We were looking at a plan for fitness. Uh, in fact, it was called Get Fit for Jesus was the title of the message. And we were looking at a lot of the parallels between what the Bible says is physical fitness and spiritual fitness in our life. Just as there's no substitute for hard work when it comes to physical fitness, and you have to go to the Y, you have to have a plan, you have to have accountability, you have to do some sweat if you're going to get physically fit. In the same way, there is no substitute, we learned, for hard work when it comes to spiritual fitness. We have to, do, uh, we have, to have a plan to read through our Bible. We have to have some way that we are being held accountable and encouraged. And we're going to have to do sweat, I mean hard work, to really study God's Word and keep our finger in God's Word if we're ever going to make spiritual progress and grow in godliness. Like physical fitness and spiritual fitness, they really run in close parallel to one another. But we did learn two weeks ago there's a big difference between the two. And that is that why you work really hard to get physically fit and you're buff for like a week and then you're out of the gym, what happens? It goes away in nothing flat. And a couple of you are going, yeah, I understand that. It's gone away, right? But then here's the difference. Spiritual fitness, all the hard work you do to grow in godliness actually stays with you for life. We talked about this, how memory verses you learn even as a little child will still be coming back to your mind when you're 50, 60 years old. God will still be using those things. In fact, the, all the work we do for spiritual fitness, the Bible says, literally carries with us not just through this life, but into eternity itself. So the challenge two weeks ago was for us to get fit. So I hope some of you got a YMCA membership or at least went outside and went for a good walk. But more importantly, I hope we also got a chance to get spiritually fit and began to set ourselves about a plan to keep our finger in the text and to work hard to learn it. Now as we continue this morning in the book of 1 Timothy, we move from the hard work of spiritual maturity to what is the hard work of being a good pastor. Paul is writing <clears throat> to Timothy, in, who is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And if you've been around, you know the church of Ephesus was a mega church. It was a huge church. Timothy was a really relatively young guy. He was in his 30s, and he's trying to figure out how to ride this whale of a church and how to be a good pastor and how to um, just do ministry right. And he's sort of feeling overwhelmed a little bit. So what happens in this section, after Paul talks about the hard work that's needed for godliness, he's going to talk about the hard work of being a pastor. 
Now, this is sort of weird for me to preach this because I'm the pastor preaching about what it means in the Bible to be a good pastor. So I was sort of thinking, this is sort of weird. I get to preach to myself today. Uh, but it's good because we will all learn what to expect out of a good pastor. Today, we're going to learn what to look for in a good church. And I really hope, quite honestly, especially for some of you who are younger, that God is in the process of raising you up, raising you up to be pastors, leaders, teachers in uh, the church of the future. And what we're going to look at today will be very helpful for you to know what it will take to be successful as a leader in Christ's church. So take good notes, especially if you feel that God is raising you up to do some kind of form of ministry. So let's jump right in. What is a good pastor? Number one, a good pastor is committed to hard work. We're going to begin with the very last verse of the previous section and then launch into the, the section we're looking at today. Paul says, For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we've set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. A lot of tough stuff in there. So let me just break this apart. It's actually not that bad. He starts about talking about the great benefits of physical training and then the extra benefits of spiritual training that we looked at last week. And then he says, by the way, this is a trustworthy saying. That's code word for uh, Paul saying to Timothy, this is the verse you want to memorize. Really. This is a trustworthy one. This is the verse you want to put on a bumper sticker. This is the verse you want to write on a 3 by 5 card and put it in your mirror while you see it while you brush your teeth. That physical training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. Don't forget this. That's what he's saying. And then he jumps into this. For to this end, that is, being a godly man, we toil and strive. Timothy, you and me, this is what we are working for. We're toiling and striving after. Now, what does it mean to toil and to strive? Because those are sort of uh, probably words that don't necessarily carry a lot of meaning with us. The word toil in the Greek means to labor to extreme fatigue, to wear oneself out in doing a task. You guys ever do that? Labor to the point in something that you are completely exhausted and you have totally worn yourself out at doing something. That's what Paul says to Timothy. When it comes to striving and working for godliness, that is how we approach it. We literally wear ourselves out to go after this. And he says, and we strive after this. The word strive has to do with constantly being in 
it has to do with like endurance. Being in a battle that you endure that you don't give up on. It literally has to do with being in a wrestling match. You know where you can't give up for six minutes. You got to keep going at it. Or a judo match or a boxing match. You cannot back off. This is what he says. We keep going and we do not back off even if we get tired. The word for strive in the Greek is agizomai. We translate that, it came across into the English as agony. I am willing to undergo agony, to wear myself out going for godliness. That is how we approach this, Timothy. Now the big question is why? We know that Training for godliness is important. It's of high value. But why would you approach it with such seriousness, Timothy, as a pastor? And here's what he says. Because we have our hope set on the living God. This is what you need to understand. It's worth wearing yourself out going after godliness because one day, Timothy... You and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And we are going to have to give an answer for our charge and for our calling and for how we pastored these people. The Bible tells us that all of us will one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me read this to you out of your notes. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now the Bible tells us that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and by faith alone. But it also tells us that we are rewarded based on how we lived for Christ and what we did for Christ in this life. And Paul says to Timothy, because one day you will stand before Jesus and give an account for how you pastored this church, trust me, it is worth literally wearing yourself out over to work hard to be a godly man handling your charge. Let me give you a couple thoughts on this. As a pastor, the pastor sets the spiritual pace of the congregation. There's just no way out of that. That's true for me. It's true for Timothy. It's true for any pastor. There's a little saying out there I always remember. The speed of the leader will be the speed of the team. Isn't that true? You don't have a team that's running faster than the leader. <laughs> Otherwise, the leader wouldn't be the leader. So the pastor has to be a man who's willing to wear himself out to go after the hard work of godliness, studying hard, working hard, going after that. Not only that, um, but we're going to be judged, as I mentioned earlier, as pastors for how you have not just lived your own life with Christ, but how you have discipled and led the church that he has put you in charge of. So it is worth wearing yourself out over. In fact, Paul says this very thing in the book of Colossians. Look at the next verse in your notes. It says, Him, that's referring to Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When he, pre when he presents this church before G to Jesus. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy he powerfully works in me. By the way, same Greek words, toil and strive. It's toil and struggle is the way it's translated here. Same thing. I wear myself out with every last bit of energy that God has given me so the church that I haven't been put in charge of will be presented mature and complete in Jesus Christ on the day that we stand before Him. It's very, very important that a pastor understands they have to be committed to work really hard after godliness. See, some pastors see their job a little bit like a librarian. A librarian is in the library sort of by themselves. They spend time with books. There's not a lot of people interaction, not a lot of desperation going on there. But a pastor is not like a librarian. He's more like a firefighter. You know, when it's time to save people's lives, you better wear yourself out to save people's lives because that's what you're doing as a pastor. You're trying to save people from the traps of Satan. You're trying to teach them God's Word and then present them mature in Christ. Now, there is a little aside I need to make here. The big point of this verse is that a pastor needs to be committed to hard work, but there's this little piece at the end that often uh, hangs people up. So I'm going to explain it to you. Paul says this, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Some people come along and they say, oh, look, Jesus saves all people. Is that what this verse is teaching? That everyone is going to heaven? Is it teaching universalism? Is that what Paul is teaching? Well, here is the problem. If you think this verse is teaching universalism, that everybody goes to heaven. You have a problem because there's plenty of other verses in the Bible that say the exact same, the exact opposite. For instance, Paul, same author, says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. So according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians, there's people out there who are not going to heaven. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Incidentally, I wanted to point out there's two kinds of people that Paul says will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Earlier in this verse, he says, first of all, it's those who do not know God. Those are people who have not heard of Jesus Christ. Also, he says, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who, are, who have heard of the gospel, but they reject the good news of the gospel. And incidentally, some people get bent out of shape about this. They say, this is not fair. Why do people who have not heard the gospel, why would they go to hell and suffer the punishment of eternal destruction? They never heard. The testimony of Scripture 
is that sin has permeated and invaded all of us. And every single person on the planet is sinful. No matter where you are, we all start out in the position of discerning eternal, conscious, never-ending punishment. It's a just response to our sin. And there is no way we can save ourselves. But God loves us enough that He sent His own Son to die in our place for our sin. And that is why the only way to be saved is Jesus Christ. That is why those who have not heard about Jesus still deserve a just response to their sin, which is hell. And those who have heard and rejected Jesus also deserve that as well. This makes missions, by the way, extremely important. But the key to understanding this verse when it says that Jesus is the Savior of all people is this word that comes right after it. He's especially the Savior of those who believe. The word save here, by the way, you need to understand, doesn't always mean eternal salvation. It can refer to temporal salvation. Let's say you and I, were walking across the street. And we're, we're right at the corner and the traffic is going by and we're looking both ways. And we don't see any, any vehicles. We start to walk and at the last minute a car comes flying around the corner. I grab you and pull you back right before the car hits you. What would you turn around and say to me? Thank you for saving my life. Now you use the word save, but it's not talking about saving you from eternal damnation. It's talking about, you talked about saving you from earthly disaster and broken bones and pain. And what this verse is saying is that God is a good God who is always about the business many times of saving our lives. Have you ever happened to you guys, really close calls in life? And you say, man, if God had had me there one second earlier, I would have been dead meat. Yeah, like, okay, every hand should be up right now. Just lack of audience response, that's all it is, right? Yeah, because the reality is, God is saving us temporally all the time. But He especially saves believers. Because He doesn't just save them temporally many times. He saves us eternally forever. So this is talking about a degree of salvation. Now let me just jump on to the next point here. First thing we learned, this is the big point, a good pastor is committed to hard work because he will give an answer for his life but also for the church that he pastors. Second thing, a good pastor pursues godly character. It says in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I told you earlier that Timothy was in his uh, young 30s at this point, from what we can tell. Now, in that society, a 30-year-old man pastoring a megachurch was considered a very young man for a very big job. And you could probably just imagine the kind of snarky comments that some of the older people were saying about this young whippersnapper who's trying to pastor our church. Like, what does he really think he's doing and here's what Paul says to Timothy. You know how you silence their criticism? You silence their criticism 
with your character. By being a man of outstanding, godly character. And he says, set the example for them in these areas. First of all, speech. A pastor has to be very careful and mindful of the words he says. Because a pastor's mouth can get them in trouble all too quickly. And boy, I can tell you that one by experience. You know, at times you say things that you say, oh, that just came out wrong. Or that was the wrong thing to say. It's like squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. It comes out real easy. It doesn't go in real easy, does it? No. Look what the Scriptures say about this in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That word corrupting literally is used to refer to rotten fruit. It doesn't just mean swear words. It means hateful words and hurtful words, rotten words. Now, as a pastor, do you have to have tough conversations sometimes? Yes. But you have to have your tough conversations in a way that is intended to build people up, not tear people down. Very important for a godly pastor to have very mindful of his speech. Secondly, he has to be mindful of his conduct. What that literally means is daily life. It means how he lives when he's not in the pulpit and when he's not in the church. Literally, it refers to how you handle yourself when you're at the grocery store and you're starting to fight with the lady at the checkout line over the 62 cents difference. And how you handle yourself at the gas station. How you handle yourself when you're on the side of a youth sport event. Do you get out of control? Do you ruin your witness? How you handle yourself at the car wash. How you handle yourself when you mow the lawn. That's very important. James 3.13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Once again, daily life. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The next thing he mentions about character is love. A pastor has to be known for loving people. If you don't love people, that is a character problem. Really, don't get into the pastorate. People don't care how much you know until they know that you actually care. Isn't that true? They don't care what you know until they know you care. Look what it says in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. A pastor's job, this is hard, is to put others' needs in front of his own. You've got to love people. Timothy, if you can't do that, it's not going to be the right kind of godly character. Next, he mentions faith. By the way, this is not talking about faith in the sense of faith in Jesus Christ. This is talking about faithfulness. It is talking about character qualities in this list. So a pastor needs to be a man that is known for being faithful to his commitments. If you say you're going to be there at 8 o'clock, don't perpetually be late. If you say you're going to give somebody a call back, literally make sure you do it. If you don't do it, it is a problem with your character. And it says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Same thing. 
Now let's look at the last character quality, which is all so important. I want to spend a little more time on this. Purity. Sexual purity is what he is talking about in this context. A pastor has to be committed to sexual purity, not just in his actions, but in his heart. A pastor must go out of his way to maintain sexual purity at all times and to be above reproach. He has to do the Mike Pence. You know what that means? You don't go out to eat with another woman that is not your wife. Yay, Mike, right? It also means you don't go over another woman's house and spend time alone with her without your wife present. It means you don't invite another woman over your house and spend time alone with her without your wife present. And some people will say to me, well, but you know what? Nothing happened. Well, the reality is, even if nothing does happen, the perception is that something did. True? And that starts rumors. And that starts gossip. And all of a sudden, your reputation as a pastor, or even as a person, starts to take damage. And your ministry takes damage. You have to go out of your way to be above board when it comes to sexual purity. And in particular, this is important when it comes to your use of the Internet. Now, of course, this applies to all of us, but I know I'm particularly talking about this for pastors. I ran across this statistic this past week, which to me was really shocking, but it, it's true. It says this, that of men over age 60... 15% right now are habitual users of Internet pornography. Of men be between the ages of 50 and 60, 20% are habitual users of pornography. Of men between the ages of 40 and 50, 25% are habitual users of pornography. One in every three. Men between the ages of 30 and 40, about 30% of them are involved in looking at online porn. And this one really throws you. Men between the ages of 18 and 29, 50% of them admit to being regularly involved in looking at Internet pornography. It's a lot of people, folks. It's a super big problem for men. And it's extremely important for a pastor to be above board in this area. Just to tell you, by the way, how we handle some of these things here at Crosswinds. I don't know if you realize it, but we have uh, all the Internet that you may pick up in this room is filtered and recorded. It's not a free Internet. We're not letting you look at porn. The pastors, we have accountability software on our computers. And what it does is if there's any questionable sites, you know who it emails? Our wives. I figure that's so much better than even me having to say anything. It's like, uh, by the way, we'll let your wife talk to you. You know, because you have to be above board on this. And just so you know, I mean, being in the time I've been here at Crosswinds about years, there's been multiple pastors that have been in this room that have been listening to sermons as I've been preaching. And I'm looking at I know why they're in this room. is because they were fired from their church because they got caught looking at porn. So it's a big issue. 
Let me just mention this. The Scriptures say this in 1 Timothy 3.2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, or as the Greek literally says, a one-woman man. It's not talking about the number of times a man has been married. It's talking about the condition of the man's heart, that he is exclusively committed to one woman and one woman alone, and he has to be above reproach in this area. That's what the Scriptures say about this if you're going to be a church leader. So, number one, a good pastor has to be committed to toiling and striving. He has to be committed to hard work to grow in godliness. Number two, he must be committed to be a man of character. And number three, a good pastor teaches from the Bible. He says this in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Three things when it comes to his pulpit ministry that he is to devote himself to. The first is the public reading of the Scriptures. I'll give you some background on this. What you find is you trace this back historically that in the synagogue, even back, I think it's Nehemiah chapter 8, you find this. What would happen is when the people would gather, the book the Old Testament books would be opened and the books would be read. There would be a public reading of Scripture so people would hear this. Incidentally, um, you can see this talked about literally in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 15, verse 20, 21, it says, From ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. Notice this. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Now, the church grew out of the synagogue. You know, there were Jews who started following Jesus Christ, and they adopted the very similar practice. They read from the Old Testament, but they also had a public reading from the letters, uh, like Paul's letters and the Gospels. So you, what you find is in the, old, in, the, uh, in the church, you have Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading of Scripture every Sunday. We read this in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. When the church gets together, read my letter, the book of Thessalonians. Now, there are a couple reasons why public reading of Scripture was so important. Number one, they didn't have mass-produced Bibles. They had scrolls. But the only way you could get your hands on this was to hear, have somebody read it to you so you could hear it. Secondly, people often couldn't read. And so the only way you would get into God's Word to have somebody literally read you God's Word. So the first thing he, was very, he said was very important is that when you do preaching and teaching and gather for worship, make sure the Word is read. The next thing he says is that you also give yourself to exhortation. Some of your translations will not use the word exhortation. It'll use the word preaching. Literally what this means is that you call people to respond to what you just read to them in the Bible. You apply it to them and you call them to respond to it. The third thing he was to give himself to, it says to teaching, which is literally explaining what you just read in the Bible and connecting it with other parts of the Bible together. 
So what you find here is Paul is telling Timothy what a good pastor's preaching ministry is like. He reads the Word. He teaches the Word and shows how it connects to other parts of the Word. Then he applies it and he calls people to respond to it. That is what a good pastor is to do. It's called expository preaching. That's what we do here at Crosswinds. If you notice, I work right through books of the Bible. I teach those verses. I explain those verses. And I call us to apply those verses and respond to those verses. Why is this so important? Let me give you a moment that's sort of a little freaky for me. It was called Easter. You know, we have this Easter. There's like 700 people in the crowd. And I turn, I look over, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing? I'm about ready to stand up and talk in front of 700 people for 30-plus minutes. And I felt like I was going to wet my pants. Honestly, it was that scary moment feeling. But then it comes back to the fact, you know, I'm not talking about my opinion or my authority. All I'm doing is opening God's Word, which I am very comfortable sharing with you. I get out of the way, and I just connect this book with you. This is the authority. This is why I'm always saying, put your finger in the text. Stay in the text. If it's about me and my opinions, forget it. But if it's about God and His Word, that's where we stick. That's why I consistently want to always teach right through books of the Bible. There's the authority. Now, incidentally, I'm not saying that topical preaching is wrong or that it's wrong all the time. There's many times where topical preaching is important. But here is a danger that you need to be aware of. Many preachers today, what they will do is they will make all of their preaching topical preaching. And what starts to happen is they become the authority and they just use a few verses of Scripture to decorate what they want to say. And after a while, you're not really following God and His Word. You're following the preacher and his thoughts. It's a dangerous thing to do. Now, I'm not saying all topical preaching is wrong and all topical preaching all the time is wrong. No, I'm not saying that. But it's just a dangerous thing you have to watch out for. Where's the authority? The other thing that you see sometimes in mainline churches is people touch the text, but they don't teach the text. You know, they have, here's our scriptural reading for the morning, and the pastor reads the scripture, and then he gives a sermon that doesn't have anything to do with the scripture he just read. That's a problem. The scriptures tell us that your authority must be God's word, and a good pastor will teach and explain the Bible. Number four. A good pastor sees the church as a calling and a privilege and not a job. He says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy is not a church leader simply because he couldn't find a better job to do. The only reason he is a, to be a pastor is because he was called by God and he was gifted by God. The Bible tells us that there are different spiritual gifts, and one of those is the gift of pastoring. 
and that Timothy was gifted by God to be a pastor. And he was not to neglect this gift, but he was to use this gift. And you notice it says here, which was given you by prophecy. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole idea of prophecy here, but here's simply what happened. Somebody came up to Timothy, and they said, Timothy, you know what? We really sense that you have the gift of pastoring. That happens today. When somebody gets up to preach and teach, they should find that gift being affirmed by others in the congregation. If you think you have the gift of preaching and teaching and nobody else has affirmed it, what you have is acid reflux. You don't have the gift because other people will affirm it. The other thing is you won't just find yourself being affirmed by other people. You will find yourself being affirmed by the congregation at large, which is what we had here. The council of elders laid their hands on him. Essentially, they gathered around him and they ordained him for a ministry and the church officially set him aside as a pastor. So, he has to understand that his job as a pastor is a calling. It's a privilege. It's been gifted by God. It's been affirmed by others. And it's been ordained or affirmed by the church. Number five, a good pastor is committed to continual improvement. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so all may see your progress. By the way, this is my favorite part in this whole section. Because um, it shows us that, past, that Pastor Timothy wasn't the perfect pastor. <laughs> pastor Timothy was not perfect, but he was making progress in these areas. A good pastor is always striving to be a better pastor. A good pastor is practicing what it means to be a good pastor. Not just doing it week to week and never seeking to improve. And I like the way he says this. Timothy, you should literally immerse yourself in this. Give all of yourself to the job of pastoring. Let yourself be totally consumed by your work. Pastoring is not a part-time job. When I was a youth pastor, uh, I remember this. You know, you're contracted for 20 hours a week as a youth pastor in a church and... Um, you do all your hours, you get that done, and then all of a sudden a crisis comes up in the church and people are calling you and they need you to help. You don't turn around and say, I'm sorry, I got my 20 hours in this week. Um, I really can't take that phone call. If you're going to give yourself to the work and immerse yourself in the task, you're going to put in a lot of hours. This is what worries me when I see pastors that talk to me about their hobbies. Because a pastor that oftentimes has a lot of time for hobbies is not doing a good job in ministry. Because a pastor that's doing a good time job in ministry doesn't have time for hobbies. Really, you don't. Because you have to immerse yourself in the work. Last point. A good pastor watches his life for mission drift. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy, now that I've got you going in the right direction of what it means to be a good pastor, keep a close watch on how you're living. How many of us know good pastors that started well but finished poorly? 
They started out real well, but they didn't watch that thing about godly character. They didn't watch that thing about sexual purity. And they had an affair and flushed the whole thing down the toilet. They started out well in teaching the Bible, then got bored of the text and went on to novelty and drifted off into theological heresy. He says, whatever you do, make sure you watch yourself for mission drift and to continue in this. You see, the point is this. Someday, Timothy, you will stand before God and you won't just give an answer for how you lived your life, but you'll give an answer for how you pastored your congregation. And what you want to look for is you're thinking about that day when there's a whole throng of people who are behind you who said, I heard about Christ through his ministry. Or I grew in Christ through his ministry. He challenged me and I turned away from sin in my life. And there's all this throng of people that are mature and complete in Christ. Because you didn't just start well, but you continued all the way through and you finished well. Now, as I finish, <laughs> I want to just tell you about one particular verse. And that's Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at His coming? Is it not you? Paul was living for the day when he would present the church of Thessalonica to Jesus. I don't know if you know, but that verse... For the last 20 years, I have kept that verse on my corner of my computer screen. My prayer has been for the last eight years since I've been here at Crosswinds is that I would have the privilege of presenting you, Crosswinds family, mature and complete to Jesus Christ on the day that I stand before Him. Not only would I be a man, hopefully, of godly character, who works hard, who keeps his finger in the text. But I've started well, and my prayer, and I'd ask you to continue to pray for me, is that I'd finish well, all the way to the end, mature and complete on that day. Dear Jesus, I come before you. I thank you for this text. What a high calling it is to be a pastor. And I thank you, Lord, for those people in this congregation that you are raising up to spiritual leaders in the church of the future and even the church of today. I ask that you would raise up godly men and women who would take this text and set this forward to them as their job description. We thank you for giving it to us, Lord. Now challenge us and mature us to it. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.